Welcome, Welcome to back. Trashy Divorces. Into season six. What? Ooh, 12 more. This is the 12th. Piping hot episodes. My name is Stacy. I'm Alicia. Thanks, everybody, for joining us again. Sit back. We're going to have some fun this week. We have two excellent stories. Stacy, what have you got going on this week on the Trashy Divorces block? I kept running into Jennifer Lopez the last few episodes that we've done with uh, Ben Affleck and Lenny Kravitz and figured why not? She's pretty much an all-star. Go ahead and pull that trashy thread. Yeah, lots going on with her little life story. How about you? You have an icon. Oh, I have the most exciting woman in the world, according to Orson Welles, Miss Eartha Kitt, legend and goddess amazing. We're excited about telling you all those stories. Before we do, a few quick announcements. Mm -hmm. This is our last week of season six. We're going to be taking next week off. There'll be no new episode. We will be back with you, though, friends, Sunday, July 5th, 2020. Patreon, don't worry. It's going to have new content going up over the next two weeks, but we are taking a break from the Sunday feed so we can get some stories researched and nap. Nap. Take a little break. What have Patreon people heard this week? Ooh, I did a fun thing on parents in the Zodiac. Uh, We did a little ditty on Tudor Medicine that was pretty fun. Ooh, we launched Cancer Trastrology as well. And you had an excellent story. Yeah, I covered uh, Loving Day, but also the really ugly history of why the Loving v. Virginia court case had to be decided upon in the first place. And a little history... Little romance. <laughs> we have some big thanks to give. We have some new Patreon people that joined us to hear all those exciting stories and more this week. We do. And Who's in our magic mirror? In our magic mirror this week, we have, with great thanks, Rachel R., Brittany S., Charlotte Liz, Mary, Nadine D., Noel D., and Marcy S., Crystal T.C., Asa S, Melissa B, Sarah A, Jessica S, and Megan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we added a new super supporter this week. Amber M, thank you so very much. Thank you to all of our new patrons, our existing patrons. We love what we're doing over there. We had a lot of fun this week over with the Patreon. We always do. Thank you for being part of that Team Trash Candy community, friends. Okay. Season finale, Alicia, are you ready? Uh, if you're waiting on me, you're backing up. Let's go, go, go. So, Stacy, you're going to trip a little light fantastic about Jenny from the block this week. I think we both got inspired for our stories this week from our stories last week. Yeah. Jennifer Lopez has come up in my stories the last two weeks, and I figured, hey, end of season, who doesn't love a J-Lo? Everybody loves a J-Lo. Actually, she's apparently, many things are said about Jennifer Lopez. Tell me the story. Most of them I don't get into, but. Okay. She has some, she feuds with Mariah Carey. Really? Don't know why. Okay. All right. But we're here today for her. Trashy divorces. Her trashy divorces. Let's do this. And just odd love life. Okay, so much like your earlier encounter with uh, Ruby Rosa Porfirio. Am I saying his name right? We're going to talk about him. Really? (gasps) Yeah. All right, so my stories this season seem to have frequently bumped up against Jennifer Lopez. So we're just going to do it. 
She is genuinely one of the most talented and fascinating people out there. So why not? A diva among divas. Most Leos are. Yeah, I got in a bit of trouble for some true statements I made about Leos on Patreon this week. So, Leos, you're my favorite. That wasn't the only thing that you're in trouble for on Patreon this week. But continue on with your story. (laughs) It's been a week on Patreon. (laughs) You will be stunned to learn. Okay. That Jennifer Lynn Lopez is a Leo. No. Diva? Diva goddess? Diva goddess. Born July 24th, 1969. Oh, she's a July Leo. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Happy early birthday, J-Lo. In the Bronx, she was the daughter of parents from Puerto Rico. And it sounds like her family story involved a lot of bootstraps. But her parents also figured out how to nurture her gifts, even if resources were limited. When J-Lo was five, she started with the singing and the dancing lessons, and a common family activity when she and her two sisters were children was to put on shows for their parents to keep them out of trouble. That may be a Leo thing. I I put on shows for my parents and family and charged admission. It reminded me of Mm -hmm. your childhood, yes. Um, She was also a stellar student athlete, also like you. Um, no, <laughs> not true. No, I think she was like nationally ranked in track or something. Oh, she wow. was, yeah, she was hardcore. Nice. Um, when she was still in high school, she auditioned for and won a small part in an indie film called My Little Girl, 1986, and officially caught the acting bug. That's that's how you get ants. <laughs> uh, after this, she became so insufferably enthralled with becoming a movie star that she had to move out because of her parents' disbelief that she could succeed at it. Oh, tell a Leo they can't do something. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, some of this was a perceived racial barrier. There were no giant American stars of Latino descent at the time. But I don't know if I mentioned that I'm talking about J-Lo here. So she goes to Manhattan, gets herself an apartment, and then it looks like she pretty steadily worked in theater productions for the next several years. She was a dancer for the New Kids on the Block at one point. And yeah, then- how's that? I'm not going to make it. To be a success thing going yeah, for then, you, mom uh, and dad. In 91, she was cast as a fly girl on the oh, TV yeah. show in, in Living Color. Color. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Apparently, she's also feuded with Rosie Perez, who she's known since those days. Oh, my. She's complicated. It's a complicated lady. This gets her to Los Angeles. And by this point, I sure hope her parents had decided that maybe their little girl had a shot at stardom after all. She wasn't an instant star. But her dues-paying years played out the way you would dream them to, with each project leading to the next with more and more prominent people, until finally she starred as Selena, the beloved Tejano singer and actress who was gunned down in 1995. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, I was familiar with her before. Like she, I don't know, she broken, but yeah. But this really cemented her as like a bankable movie star. Uh, She was paid a million dollars for the film, which was the highest um, of any uh, Latino actress. Really? Mm -hmm. 1997 was also when she took her first walk down the aisle. Yeah. She does this quite a bit in this story. It happens a lot. She married Ohani Noah, a Cuban waiter. They were together for less than a year before splitting up in 1998. And Ohani has apparently built an entire career around capitalizing on his less-than-year-long marriage to a famous person. No! Oh, yes. (sighs) Trashy. Ohani says that J-Lo chose her career over him, and (laughs) honestly, it's not that hard to imagine why. Let's talk about the post-divorce antics of Ohani Noah. Let's. In April of 2006... 
J-Lo sued Ohani, who was in the process of selling a tell-all book about their short relationship. No. A decade later. <sighs> no. Her lawyers argued that the book violated a confidentiality agreement that he had signed in 2004, presumably for some financial consideration. I don't otherwise know why you would sign would a... do that late. Yeah. Yeah. There were also home videos that he wanted to put together into some kind of sellable form. What kind of home videos? Apparently not a sex tape, although oh, there may have been a scene. That sounds an awful lot like a sex tape. It does sound like a sex tape. And yet, it was apparently not. It seems like there was a long-running legal fight in the mid-2000s, primarily over the book, and J-Lo won this fight handily. Ohani was ordered to hand over all copies of the book and associated materials to her lawyers and pay her $545,000 in damages. What? He's also technically under court order to avoid criticizing or disparaging his ex-wife, which he seems to get around by whining about how hurt he was all those decades ago. Poor Ohani. So apparently his whole career is like... Being J-Lo's ex-husband. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. Apparently, there's still a lawsuit pending about the home movies. Oh, my. And all I can say is, dude, bro, bro, dude, move on already. It's been 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Not what, 97? Yeah, 98. Yeah, Yeah, dude. Yeah. And it didn't last. Move along. It's not like they spent 20 years ago, you know, like, Jesus. Okay. After that, and while she was working on her debut album, she started dating Sean Puffy Combs. Of course she did. That ended when the pair were arrested in connection with a shooting in New York City at a club. What? J-Lo was pretty, like, immediately cleared of any wrongdoing, but Sean was slung up on weapons charges, and that was that. He was later acquitted, but she was like, you know what? You're fun and all, but... <laughs> I like dates where I'm not arrested. Mm. Second hubby was Chris Judd, a dancer, also a Leo, August 15, I think. Yeah. She met him on the video shoot for her song, Love Don't Cost a Thing, in 2000. And he seems like he is super down to earth, low key, possibly exactly what she was looking for after all the excitement with the weapons charges and stuff. Sure. Um, In 01, they married in a very private ceremony, but Chris's life was immediately engulfed by photographers and paparazzi. Oh, because now he's Mr. J-Lo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he was prepared for it. And anyway, shortly after they married, J-Lo met Ben Affleck on set with Geely. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Sure. The movie nobody saw. I think it's how I mispronounced it last time, too. Sure, that's perfect. Benny Ben. She and Chris were married from September 29th, 2001 to just June of 2002. What? She sure doesn't stick around in the marriage wheelhouse for very long, does she? Ben. Well, yeah, Ben. Unlike Ohani, Chris succeeded at the extremely low bar of continuing to live his life after things didn't work out with (laughs) J-Lo. Not only has he continued working in his field, these days he's a choreographer for scripted kids' television shows on Netflix and Nickelodeon. Oh, that's great. He's been happily married since 09 and raising a daughter with his wife. And he's also avoided talking shit about J-Lo when the press will inevitably track him down for a comment about whatever she's up to lately. In September 2019, a gossip rag caught up to him to ask if he was still in touch with her. And whether he was going to go see her new movie, Hustlers, which I'm told was excellent and I do plan to see. The poor guy was like, this is a quote, man, I'm so far removed from her. I have, gosh, you know, I just wish her the best. I hope the movie does really well. Like, he's just like, 
I'm just, I'm a dude. This was 20 years ago. Yeah. No, we are fans uh, of moving on. When the relationship is done, just just be done. Yeah. It's okay he, just to be done. He looks like he has uh, built a very satisfying life for himself. Good on Chris Judd. J-Lo herself has addressed her first two marriages in more recent years. I've been married three times, she says in a YouTube video. Once was nine months and once was 11 months. So I don't really count those. I was very young. I don't count them. I was very young okay. the first two times I tried to get married. I'm saying tried to get married. It seems like in this life you're always surrounded by people, so you're never lonely. But it's very lonely, so you always want somebody with you. So I felt like if I got married, then I would always have somebody. But that's not how life works. That's not how it goes. A bad reason to get married. Not the right one. The wrong one. The right one is when you find somebody who makes you better. Wise words from Jennifer Lopez. Obviously, we talked about her romp with Ben Affleck a couple of weeks ago, and J-Lo says that that breakup was her first real heartbreak. As we discussed, it did no favors for Ben either. J-Lo, in standard J-Lo fashion, raced into her next relationship. She had known singer Mark Anthony for years, uh, and he had duetted with her on her debut album, I guess back in 99 was when that came out. On the Six was the name of that record. She and Ben split up in January 04 after indefinitely postponing their September 2003 wedding. And she married Mark in June. Well, they were only going to try to get married. She's she's always trying to get married. Okay. She has openly acknowledged that she ran to him to soothe her pain writing in her 2014 book that since she wasn't into drugs or alcohol, <laughs> quote, my way of anesthetizing the pain was different. I sought out comfort in another person, tried to find someone who could make me feel loved and wanted in my loneliest hour. Another great reason to marry someone. Wow. So what appears to have happened is that shortly after the wedding was called off, Mark kind of popped up out of the blue he had predicted that they would one day marry He's back been in waiting for the window to open. I think so. Back okay. in 98, he apparently one of the first one of his first jokes uh, to her was that they would one day be married. So let's meet him. Marco Antonio Munez Munez. Mark Anthony has a heck of a lot in common with his now ex-wife, Jennifer Lopez. They're about the same age. His birthday is September 16th, 68 of Virgo. Oh, God. Born in New York City to parents from Puerto Rico, and they both grew up Catholic. Okay. His dad worked at a hospital cafeteria and played music, and it was his pops who first started training him as a singer. Some of his first work in music was songwriting and backing vocals for Menudo and the Latin Rascals in the 80s, but his own work in this period was thumping, club-ready freestyle. Like, he was making, like, super danceable music there in the beginning. In the early 90s, he shifted gears and started making salsa music, a change that catapulted him to success. Between 92 and 2000, he released three records that made him the top-selling artist in salsa history and a humongous concert draw. Like, he sold out Madison Square Gardens and then HBO live broadcast the... Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was just, like, a humongous deal. I mean, he still is. just a humongous deal. So when he met J-Lo in the 90s, uh, he was engaged to or recently split from actress Claudette Lolly. And while she was dating Chris Judd, Mark got married for the first time to Miss Universe uh, Dianara Torres in 2000. Did they really get married or did they just try? 
I'm just kidding. That's um, hilarious. They, since it didn't last that long, let's go with just tried. Okay, perfect. Yeah, they were together for about three years. Seems to have been pretty rocky, uh, but they did have two sons and he had two children from a previous relationship as well. So the June 2004 wedding to Jennifer Lopez happened, I think, like weeks after his divorce was finalized. Okay, that tracks. J-Lo would much later, after the end of this, write, Thinking back, maybe deep down I knew that this was a band-aid on the cut, that my wound hadn't been stitched or healed, but I pushed all that to the back of my mind. Because life takes unpredictable turns and twists, right? And you've just got to go with what you feel is best in the moment. Again, perfect reasons to get married. All good. All legit. I mean, this does last seven years, and they do. They have a boy and, they have twins. They have a boy and girl. And when they threw in the towel in July 2011, it was apparently exceptionally painful for her. Her sister said that J-Lo had waited to have kids because she, having those two very short, right, like she wanted to be sure that she was She's with someone. She's not married long enough to, hold, to have a child to term. Neither one of her married first marriages lasted that long. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, she had kids when she was 38, but she was really, she really just wanted to be sure that she was in the marriage that would last. Okay. And when that didn't end up happening, it was it was really devastating. She felt like she was splitting up her family and like wrecking her kids' lives and all of that. All normal feelings. Yes. Mark, meanwhile, was forced to deal with tabloid speculation that he had cheated, which he unequivocally denied. Always said amazing things about J-Lo, as far as I can tell. Like, if he has a complaints interview somewhere, I didn't find it, so... J-Lo would tell Oprah, once I got divorced, I had to re-examine my whole life because I waited to have kids. I had kids when I was 38 because I never wanted to not be with the person I was with and had kids with. I just felt like when we got divorced, it was the lowest time of my life. I felt like I had failed miserably and that I wasn't going to give my kids what they needed. So as much as these two had rushed into their marriage, they backed out of it quite slowly Mark didn't file paperwork until like the spring of 2012. So about like six months or more after they announced they were done. Interesting. Then it was two more years uh, to get everything finalized. Like they weren't formally divorced until 2014. Wow. At the end of the process, J-Lo had primary custody of the kids. Mark gets them for seven days each month. Nannies must be present when the children are there. I'm sure he's a very spot on kind of dad. <laughs> Interesting. The parents are to use their best efforts to keep the kids out of the public eye, although at this point their daughter in particular seems intent on following in her parents' famous footsteps, so we'll see. The agreement also included a clause allowing each parent to independently trick-or-treat with the kids, so that's probably been quite the Halloween bounty for them ever since. Mark went on to marry again, although that divorce, his third, was finalized in February 2017. I can't even keep, keep track of the number of divorces in this story. It's a lot. A lot. It's a lot. Okay. The same month, J-Lo started dating former New York Yankee Alex Rodriguez, also known as A-Rod, or now in partnership with J-Lo, J-Rod. <laughs> Clearly, she's learned a thing or two about rushing into marriage, although the pair had planned to wed now-ish. Um, that is on hold because of the pandemic, but they've actually dated for a few years now. They're considering buying the Mets together or something equally weird. Really? 
Yes, she has also reportedly inserted herself into A-Rod's relationship with his ex-wife, the one who last week we talked about she fled to Paris and stayed with Lenny Kravitz when his affair with Madonna hit the press. Some spiderweb city around this place. Yeah, yeah. So um, so apparently J-Lo, there was like mediation to modify child support back in 2018, uh, and it wasn't enough for A-Rod to attend himself and handle his own affairs j-lo showed up and apparently had some conversations with the ex-wife really she wanted him to spend far less money on his two daughters although in fairness the reports in 2018 indicated that he was paying one hundred thousand dollars a month in child support which seems i don't know are his daughters made of gold? I what? One point two million a year. Mm-hmm. Rich people, rich people. Wow. All right. In April, the New York Post published a photo of the pair leaving a Miami gym that they had convinced the owner to open just for them during the lockdown phase, with a columnist using the incident as proof that they are malignant narcissists who, on the one hand, earnestly urged fans and followers to stay home, and on the other, do shit like that. So complicated yeah all right we'll do some trash cans we're just gonna go by husband oh perfect okay okay three up three down oh honey oh yes oh no he gets 22 (laughs) trash cans one for each year he has spent trying to be famous by association fantastic perfect (laughs) uh chris judd gets halos Given him 11 of them for the years of his second and successful marriage. Fantastic. Mark Anthony, I think he also gets halos. He and J-Lo have figured out how to have a great post-divorce friendship. And he and A-Rod are apparently really cool with each other. And so those kids, it, very similar to Lenny Kravitz and Jason Momoa. I was Momoa about to say, Lisa Bonet, Lenny like, and Lisa set such but, a fantastic so, example. Exactly. So yeah, all those kids have like a whole bunch of cool parents to uh, hopefully to turn to. Uh, and Alex Rodriguez, this is our warning to you. <laughs> Fly right. Maybe I, you try to marry her, maybe you don't. I, feel like, I think he wants to marry her very much. Um, now, was A-Rod married to Madonna? No. no they never they married. They just dated. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot going on in that story. She would sing love songs to like while staring at him at, at concerts and stuff. It was gross. <laughs> She loves pretty things. That was a whole lot of trashy divorce, Stacey. As does J-Lo. I think J-Lo gets a bunch of trash cans, but I I couldn't quite quantify how many or why. A lot, though. You feud with Mariah Carey and Rosie Perez? Really? (laughs) So that's Jenny from the block. Trashy divorces on the block. Let's take a break. Let's take a break. Come on back with us. I feel like we're going to... We're gonna see her again. I feel like things with A-Rod. that she's not done on our on our little no. our little podcast program yet. I think they're super cute to think that they can make this work, but I think they're both emotionally stunted somehow. <laughs> we'll take a break. Catch you on the flip with the goddess and legend that I've got this week. You sure do, dude. With like four other people we've talked about in this story, you're gonna Fantastic. be amazed. I know. Uh, we really got this one right. Then okay, back in a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, what are you doing? What do you mean? I'm making just keep it simple. I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Brav Bros, two guys that talk about Bravo. 
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No. Oh. Dude, stop with the voice. Just the vo- keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Brav Bros. Good job. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. All right, I'm super excited about yours because you, be. you have a legend and a goddess. Eartha Kitt, y'all. Yeah. Eartha Kitt, y'all. Singer, actress, dancer, catwoman, mother, side piece, legend, goddess. I actually have that written down. Oh, do you? So you were Hey. You're already your great minds think alike. This is an amazing story. Eartha Kitt only has one short lived marriage and trashy divorce. But Eartha Kitt is an all star. <laughs> I made this decision on the fly last week after we talked about Zoe Kravitz playing Catwoman. Mm. Because Eartha. Sure. Come on. She's not the original Catwoman. She came in to replace Julie Newmar, who is fine. But Julie Newmar is no Eartha Kit. There is only one <laughs> oh Eartha my. Oh, goodness. Orson Welles will call her the most exciting woman in the world. And after researching her story... I dare say I agree. <laughs> Eartha is born Eartha Mae Keith, January 17th, 1927. She's a Capricorn gal. She is born in North South Carolina. So that's not confusing at all. The town of North. The town of North it's in South, South Carolina. Carolina. Someone had fun with that. She's born on a cotton plantation. Her mom is Annie Mae Keith. It's a good harvest that year, which is how Eartha gets her name. I'm going to be real honest with you, friends. Eartha does not have a lot of kindness in her early years. Mom, Annie Mae, is a black Cherokee sharecropper. And Eartha's father is the white son of a nearby farm owner. Eartha believes that she is conceived through rape. And soon enough, after Eartha's born, Annie Mae's going to find a new man who refuses to accept Eartha because she is a mixed-race baby. In Eartha's words, not mine, Eartha says, I was a yellow gal. Hmm. So, being yellow doesn't sit with Eartha's new stepfather. So, Eartha's going to get passed off to some poor relations, but that doesn't go great either because she's not black enough. Eartha will say, if you're a mulatto, you're not black enough to belong to the blacks and not white enough to belong to the whites. And on top of that, you're a motherless bastard. Hmm. That doesn't go great. And Eartha is then shipped out to foster families. And one of these families, a black family, will sexually abuse Eartha because, again, she's yellow. And because girl children just never, ever, ever 
ever get the protections they need ever. Ever. Eartha pretty much learns how to survive quickly and very early. She will say, even as a child, I found a way to survive. If food was plentiful, then I ate. If it wasn't, then I ate with the cats and the dogs. Surviving is a way of life for her. And here's something actually kind of interesting. Eartha really doesn't know about her roots except for what she remembers growing up. So in the late 1990s, Eartha Kitt challenges students at Benedict College in Columbia, South Carolina to research her past, to find her birth certificate, and they do. So it's this little fun class project that Eartha Kitt comes in like, okay, y'all go for it. And they do. So she's able to piece together a few more of these uh, missing pieces. When Eartha is eight, she is sent to live with her aunt-ish in Harlem. The aunt says that she's Eartha's mom. And Eartha actually believes that for like a hot minute. The aunt will give Eartha piano and dance lessons. But there's abuse in that household as well. Eartha is physically abused, mentally abused, verbally abused, and Eartha runs away a lot. And Aunt Mom, Auntish Mom, wants her to be a concert pianist. And Eartha really doesn't like to practice piano all that much. So that dream, not going to happen. But Eartha's in New York. She's here in jukebox and jazz. And there's no doubt that Eartha is a talented kid. And by her teens, two stories on this. One story is aunt kicked her out. Eartha will say, by my teens, I was like, hey, mom, aunt, I'm not good for you. I'd, I'd do better. Not, I'm, I'm not doing what it is you need me to do to make you live a happy life. So I'm out. It sounds like she was probably well equipped to be independent by, you know, by her teen years. Well, given, given yeah. that background. Eartha's out. She'll work in a factory. She'll sleep in subways. She'll sleep on the roofs of unlocked buildings. It's a tough road, y'all. Later in life, Eartha will actually be an advocate for homeless children on the behalf of UNICEF. All of this so far, pretty tragic. But things are going to take a turn for Eartha coming up here. So there she is out sleeping rough on the streets. And the way I've seen this story printed and the way Eartha tells it are different. And I like Eartha's version. So I'm going to go with that one. So it's the early 1940s in New York and Eartha has attended the School of Performing Arts at one point, and she knows about makeup and theater, and she, you know, it's what you know when you go to the School of Performing Arts. And a friend of hers is like, hey, Eartha, I need some help with makeup. And Eartha's like, no, you don't. You're super pretty. You don't need what you're asking me about. Like, you're wasting your money, friend. And she's like, yeah, 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 it's not for me. I'm a dancer in Catherine Dunham's company and Catherine Dunham sent me out to buy her some pancake makeup. And Eartha's like, yeah, sure. I'll help you. But, uh, I'd really like to meet Catherine Dunham. Right. With a little exchange of favors. Here. Yeah. Yeah. So Eartha's going to show up at an audition. And by the end of that, she just hops in. She's not on call for the audition. She's not signed up. She just shows up, mixes in with all the dancers and by the end of the day, she's won a full scholarship under Catherine Dunham. Things are turning around. By 1945, 
She's with Catherine Dunham's troop. And she's headed to post-war Europe. She's working. She's dancing. She's saving enough money to eat meat one time a week. It's very exciting. Like, she's literally in her teens, and she is performing all over the world with Catherine Dunham's dance troupe. London, Mexico, South America. She will make her screen debut in 1948 as one of Dunham's dancers in a film called Casbah. So by the late 1940s, Eartha's like, I got this. She leaves the Dunham Dance Company and settles down in Paris. And she is working on a solo act that she is going to perform. Here's our first spider web in a little club called Carol's, which is the nightclub run by Marlena Dietrich's former lesbian lover named Fred. Do you remember? Not I think we talked about this on a Patreon in April in Paris. Eartha says, Fred is beautiful. She's the most beautiful woman you'd ever want to see in your life. And she's always dressed as a man. So Eartha, with Fred and the nightclub act at Carol's, runs for like 11 months and gets her noticed by no less than Orson Welles, who will see her, be fascinated by her, and give Eartha the role of Helen of Troy in his production of Faust, which he calls, let's see, uh, Time Runs. This is 1951. This is not an affair yet, but this is Orson Welles introducing Eartha to a different kind of life. Eartha says, after rehearsing all night, Orson would walk me up the Champs-Élysées to my hotel with the sun coming up. We would look at the sights, window shop. He would recite Shakespeare to me. Also, Eartha is running into and having an affair also with everyone's favorite trashy divorces, French playboy, Porfirio Ruberosa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Porfirio will call Eartha fire and ice. Hmm. Yeah. Eartha goes on to continue about in this particular quote. So Orson Welles will buy her fabulous lunches. He introduces her to this marvelous gourmet type of living she says, him and Ruby Rosa, I tell you, I was absolutely spoiled by the best kind of men. <laughs> and hell, Eartha could use some spoiling, right? Mm -hmm. She is going to continue to dally all through the 1950s with some high profile lovers, including King Farrakh, cosmetics magnet Charles Revson, and banking heir John Barry Ryan III. <laughs> I bet his friends call him Trip. Eartha's doing great. Her star is on the rise. She is going to come back to New York at the end of 1951, appearing at La Vie en Rose on 54th Street in New York City. Not the best reviews for this show, but she does get spotted by the owner of another club called the Village Vanguard. Her act is a little bit revamped, and she's a hit. She moves over from the Village Vanguard to the Blue Angel Club on 55th Street. Here... She's seen by Tallulah Bankhead, Truman Capote, even Lena Horne, who was the other black sex symbol singer mm -hmm. happening at the time. Eartha typically snubs famous people who come in and want to see her. If you come in and say you're part of Eartha's, Eartha's family, you're definitely not getting in. She cuts them all off. But even famous people, she's like, nah, I'm not too into that. Kind of builds a reputation sometimes of being difficult, but after that kind of childhood, yeah, who 
Like yeah. security's hard to find. She is asked in a later interview about where this confidence comes from. And Eartha says, it's not confidence. I have its hunger. I wanted to survive on my own. I don't want to rely on anyone else. I've used my animal instincts my whole life. I have had to rely on what was thrown to me to survive. I'm never going to be a burden on anyone. By 1952, Eartha is starring in New Faces on Broadway and taking off, going places. In this particular Broadway show, when she makes her debut, New York Times critic Brooks Atkinson states, Eartha Kitt not only looks incendiary, but she can make a song burst into flame. (laughs) That's very good. Eartha's going to return back to Broadway in December 1954 to star in Mrs. Patterson, back to Broadway in 1957 for Shinbone Alley. This, in 1957, is allegedly when the affair with Orson Welles happens. After Broadway, Eartha's going to kind of flip over. She's going to do some films. She'll do The Mark of the Hawk with Sidney Poitier, St. Louis Blues with Nat King Cole, even Anna Lucasta with Sammy Davis Jr., like 1959. But Eartha, even though she's in films, is still appearing in nightclubs, doing some TV appearances. Everything's awesome. So certainly it must be time to get married. Eartha will marry. One and only time she marries, June 9th, 1960, to a dude named William McDonald. It's kind of fun. I've seen his job as many things. Here are the Mm. three things I've seen his job to be. An accountant, an estate agent, or a property millionaire. There's a lot of room in that river. Yeah. So. Yeah. He's quiet. I, I can't find much about oh so it's not like he he's not like defrauded her into marrying him no no okay, okay. I, like successful business, he's a business white guy dude. okay mm-hmm. and they get married 1960 they have a daughter that they will name kit who was eartha's greatest joy eartha and kit travel together kit is always going to be on the road with her mom they have a super close relationship Mother and daughter here do way better than Eartha and William, the husband. They are separated by July 1963. Hmm. Eartha will file for divorce under the grounds of mental cruelty. Three years, they split. Divorce takes a little while longer, becomes final in... I've seen 64, I've seen 65. Final date, William does not appear in court, but he is commanded to pay $100 a month of child support for Kit. And that is the end of William... And the marriage. Okay. Eartha has had before and will continue to have lots of liaisons, but she will sum up her life in six words when asked about those liaisons. Rejected, ejected, dejected, used, accused, abused. So happy. They're very happy. So the divorce snatch leaves her a little reluctant to try marriage again. Mm -hmm. She will say, I don't think I trust as much as I used to. Mm. Hot on the heels of the divorce, Eartha will get her first Emmy nod with her role on I Spy. 1967. Meow. She's going to be Catwoman. And this should be awesome. Because Eartha, right? Perfect choice to play Catwoman. Everything about... All of her appearances, she, she's cat-like, she's feline, she's a sex kitten. Of course she's Catwoman. Here's the funny thing. Julie Newmar has to go do a movie, so Eartha Kitt comes in. You know, like, 
her role as Catwoman we think of as so iconic. She's in three episodes of Batman. Really? That is how much of an impression. Yeah, you're not kidding. Eartha Kitt has made. She is in a couple episodes. That's it. That is my clearest, like, knowing of her is as Catwoman from... Yeah, three episodes. Wow. Oh, and she rode around in the cat to lack she had a cat car that show and the puns okay well there's i mean this is right the era of civil rights this is 1967 and so there's this thing with batman's character kind of being like he tells robin in one episode she's attractive don't worry about it you'll understand later you'll understand in a few years robin oh my god it's hilarious but that's not gonna fly she makes three appearances like it's fine okay this is really when Eartha should be taking off. Everything should be coming up roses. La vie en rose. Except there's a little lunch party at the White House that is hosted by Lady Bird Johnson. Okay. Eartha gets invited. Hmm. And I guess the lunch is going well enough and Lady Bird is giving her a little speech. And Eartha, well, decides to stand on the table and herself deliver an impassioned and maybe an insulting and maybe highly critical speech herself cutting off Lady Bird. And this speech is about uh, President Johnson's policy on Vietnam. I was going to say she was against the Vietnam War, wasn't she? And uh, mm-hmm. other aspects of American life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. part of this outburst mm-hmm. includes some language like, hmm. I am a mother and I know the feeling of having a baby come out of my gut. I have a baby and you want to send him off to war? You send the best of this country off to be shot and maimed. It's no wonder the kids rebel and take pot. <laughs> I don't I don't mean to laugh. That seems like a very genuine... No, well, that's, the, that's why the kids, kids are taking, taking pot. pot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this goes bad. So now Lady Bird is <laughs> crying. Oh, great. Right, she's crying at her own party. And Eartha effectively is ousted. She will, in turn, become investigated by the CIA, which makes a hot dossier on her, Mm. part of which reads, she was a sadistic nymphomaniac whose escapades and loose morals were the talk of Paris. I hope that she directed that that be included in her future obituary, because that's amazing. Also during 68... Eartha is very committed to the civil rights movement. So she's buddies with Dr. Martin Luther King. She's also buddies with Malcolm X. And she is trying to bridge the divide of their different ideologies and almost has Malcolm X talked into joining forces with Martin Luther King like a week and a half before he is assassinated. Hmm. But with the White House ousting and the CIA file, Eartha literally has to go overseas to make her living for the next 12 years because America won't touch her. Unhirable. She says that she was not aware what that speech would do for her career, but says even knowing what she knows now, she still would have done the same thing. Good for her. Her career suffers. Like for 12 years, she, it costs her millions of dollars. In the early 70s, she will again provoke controversy when she appears in South Africa in an integrated touring show. This is like the land of apartheid and it's okay. But in this, Eartha goes in and she'll sell her autograph at department stores. And she uses that money to build two schools for local black children. So mm-hmm. give me all the heat you want, but 
I'm out here doing good. Mm-hmm. In 1978, a production of Timbuktu will bring her not only a Tony Award nomination, but also back to the White House, this time in a reception hosted by President Jimmy Carter. She comes into the White House and President Carter's like, welcome home, Eartha. Hmm. And as nice as this is, Eartha will say that you never really recover from that. How do you make peace with something that kept you from working? Yeah. She goes on record and says, I was rejected artistically, emotionally, and personally. I remember thinking my mother, my own mother had given me away and now my country didn't want me either. Eartha continues to work through the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. She's on Broadway. She's getting Grammy nominations. She's in the movies. Like there is no stopping Earth Kit. She will also, here's her other spider web, will famously tell the press in response to Madonna that in fact, Eartha was the original material girl. <laughs> Eartha's going to write four memoirs. In the mid 80s, she's going to have a hit with this little disco number called Where Is My Man? And it turns out the gays love Eartha. She'll give benefit performances in support of HIV and AIDS organizations. She builds this incredible relationship with the gay community. She feels like at this time, like the gays are the only people who stood by her during that difficult period. She is a huge activist for gay rights movements, just like she was for civil rights. Eartha's going to return to the White House one more time, this time in the year 2006, to light the Christmas tree and the decorations with President Bush. 2006 is also the year that Eartha is diagnosed with colon cancer. Not that that stops her from working, because she's still working. She never stops. Can't stop, won't stop. Earth Kit, when she's not working, she is at her 77-acre farm in Connecticut, hmm. where she grows her own fruits and vegetables. As one does. Plays the lottery and washes her own windows. Her daughter has gotten married and is having grandkids, so it is a mm-hmm. terribly happy life for Eartha, where she truly evolves into her happy life on her own terms, she will say, quote, I think life has been tremendous fun for me, even though I think about what I've come out of. It's very happifying, if that's a word. I can look at myself in the mirror and say, you might have had a hard time, but you made it. Eartha will die on Christmas Day 2008 from that colon cancer. According to her daughter, Kit, she never stopped moving. Until the day before she dies. Like, she's still just going, go, the most exciting woman in the world. Mm-hmm. Hell, Eartha Kitt, legend, general all-around survivor badass. I'm sure I have to give a few trash cans for the quick marriage and the trashy mental cruelty divorce, but all the halos to the Capricorn gal for her life well lived. And that, Trash Pandas, is how we end season six. We'll be back. With all of you lovely, lovely souls, Sunday, July 5th. But if you need some trash candy in the meantime, we got you covered. Check out Patreon. We have a lot of free trash candy over there. We do. At bit.ly slash trash candy quarantine. If you need more trash candy than that, like 300 episodes over there y'all there are a few levels you can join at that you will get all the trash candy goodies 
So even though we are not putting out an episode next week, next week we still will be putting out fresh piping Patreon content. So sure, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We are actually very excited that we're taking a week off, uh, but we will see you soon. We are excited to be back with you soon after a little rest. Yeah, thank you for listening and supporting us in our trash candy endeavors. Yep, y'all are the very best. Until we see you July 5th. Wash your paws, paw wash, and keep it trashy. Oh, keep it so trashy, pandas. Big cheers to everybody. (laughs) Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacey and Alicia with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.